0: You're listening to the City Lights podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. As in high school, I played football, and my knees are not good anymore. So, um, when I every time I bend down, there's just like a every time, um, I played football in high school. I was not good. I was like the second string of the second string, you know. And so I asked about the sports thing because I I specifically remember I was at Greenville High School for a little bit. Transferred to Wade Hampton. Go Generals. And got got some believers in here. And I came out for practice. I'm a freshman. And this was just, it was the worst case scenario. I'm new. And I hadn't really like, gotten out on the field at all, you know, because I was a freshman at Greenville High. And then I come over to Wade Hampton still as a freshman. And the coach is like, let's just throw him in and see what he can do, you know? I was like, fun, this will be great. Um, I'm pretty good at like backyard football, you know, that kind of stuff. With the pads and all, not so much. So I get out there, and they had just one practice jersey left. Now, the normal Wade Hampton practice jerseys were like a burgundy, garnet color. Any of you South Carolina Gamecock fans is like that, you know? And uh, I had this bright cherry red jersey. It was the last one. So I come out late because I'm getting all my pads and stuff. And I step on the field, and the coach is like, hey, you're just going to do a normal halfback draw. We're going to pass you the ball. You're going to find your hole and, and go. You know? I was like, great, sounds good. Soon as I line up this linebacker, and he was a big guy for 13, 14 years old. He yells, you're mine, Cherry. And I was like, I just don't, I wasn't as like hefty as I am now. You know, I was like maybe 152 pounds. Like I was real tiny and I just went, this, this isn't good. This isn't good. And so I get down for the play and the, the guy hikes the ball. He hands it to me and I see a hole and I'm like, this is my moment. I'm about to show these guys what's up. And I go through the hole and I come around and the dude was right here. And he just, boom, like hits me from the side. My body goes like this. And I kid you not, it was like a movie. Some other guy comes and hits me this way. And I'm just like, duh, and I hit the ground. The wind's knocked out of me. And I'm just like, why am I here? What am I doing? <laughs> the guy comes over to me and he goes over. He's like, I told you, Cherry. And then he just walked away. And they called me Cherry the rest of the season. <laughs> that guy, his name was Chris Hicks. And we became best friends the rest of high school. He was, he was like a super close friend of mine. Um, I tell that story because, you know, I got involved with football because I love playing it. And I remember walking out on that field, and he told me I was going to run the play. And it was like my bright-eyed, bushy-tailed moment. You know, I'm like, I'm going to play football. This is going to be awesome. And then I just got decimated on the practice field of the C team. Like, it's not even, it wasn't even like state championship or anything. And, you know, it's it's hard because, like, I think like football or if you guys have played a sport or if you've gone to college or started a new business venture or anything, you you come into moments of life and you have this real excitement about things, you know? Um, I know becoming a parent, getting married, like I said, getting a new job or, or things like that, you think things are going to be really awesome. It's going to look like this and then you meet that linebacker, quote unquote. You have that football moment where life comes and just punches you in the face and you're like, That's not what I thought this was going to be. I thought this was going to be different, and um, Acts four finds us in a in a really unique place because up until this moment, the disciples have been walking around empowered by the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. Three thousand people get saved. Peter and John are walking outside of the temple, they find this guy who's lame, and and they pray over him, and he's healed, you know, everything's like, wow, this is so awesome, and like, what if everyday life was like that? It'd be magical, you know what I mean? You just open your mouth, and people are getting saved, it'd be great, and this is the first time that they meet resistance, as she just read. This is the first time that not only is it like people might be bothered by what they're doing, but like the big guys are coming. It says the temple guard shows up. These are dudes with spears and swords and shields and stuff. Like, I'd be kind of a little freaked out if I would just heal somebody and then the cops showed up, you know? You're just like, okay, this is new. They're meeting resistance. And, you know, I know a lot of us, and I do as well, we all live in America, you know, and I know we're not all just walking down the streets of downtown and just slinging healing, you know, left and right, and just people are coming back from the dead and all that. But... You guys know, as well in the story, the Pharisees and the temple guard, this, these aren't the enemy, right? Like, what is the enemy? The spirits and the powers of darkness, right? People aren't our enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Satan is our enemy. The powers of darkness is our enemy. And I think what Acts is inviting us, what Luke is inviting us to learn today, is that these moments of resistance, they don't always come against directly against our faith. You know, it's not just people coming to you and saying, "What well, you believe in is dumb or this isn't real or this is like that or this is like that. Maybe you do face that in your life, but it can also come in. I'm at home. My, my wife and I talk about this all the time where you're wanting to have a really great day at home. You're wanting your home to be a place of peace and a place of calm. And it just feels like your kids will not let you do that. You know, like because they didn't get enough sleep or they're hungry or, or whatever the thing may be. And that's the resistance, that is darkness, that's like the flesh pushing back at you and going, I see you seeking the kingdom, and I'm going to try and stop it, amen? So like, in your marriages, with your relationships, with your spouse, some of us got married, and we got into marriage, and we were so pumped, and so stoked, and so excited, and then you get about a year, year and a half in, and there are these little things that you're consistently fighting about, (laughs) where do you think that comes from? It's not my wife, right? It's our flesh. It's the, it's the kingdoms and the powers of darkness around us trying to keep peace, unity, family, life from happening. So that's what I, as, as we're reading today, I'm inviting you to join me with is that life is coming at us hard and fast and it comes with resistance. It stops us in our tracks. And in those moments where life stops us and the kingdoms and the powers of darkness try to stop us, are we going to decide to give up In a moment, I just mean a momentary give up. Am I going to continue doing what Jesus called me to do in this moment, or am I not? Am I going to fall back into my flesh? Am I going to yell at my kids and hurt them because I'm so angry, right? Am I going to do that to my spouse? Am I going to quit my job just because it got a little hard? You understand what I'm saying? Are we going to quit Are we going to remain steadfast? And like I said, the enemy uses these everyday experiences to disconnect us from the Lord's vision and purpose for our lives. This journey that we're on, walking with Jesus, was not called to be an easy one. Jesus never, in the whole scriptures, if you guys can point to a verse, I will gladly read it, he never said that this was going to be easy. He said, actually, it will be hard. It will be incredibly hard. Because everything around you is fighting against the kingdom of God. That means it's going to be hard. But what did he also say? Take heart. Because guess what? I conquered all of it. And by my spirit, I'm in you. I'm walking with you. That's good, refreshing news. Right? The Bible tells us that this battle we have is with the powers of darkness, not flesh and blood, which means that we should war differently. You understand what I'm saying? If, again, I'm only giving context for what I know, Um, My wife and I have a conflict. It is not good or healthy for me to just defend my pride and defend me being right, right? It's right to seek peace. And how do I find peace? Through humility and service and listening. I've learned. Listen a little more, right? Took me five and a half years to figure it out, but I'm here. We're supposed to war differently. What if in the midst of these Moments of resistance, these moments of life where things aren't working out, instead of warring with each other and fighting the darkness, we just chose to worship the Lord. Amen? And and I'm not just talking about singing. I just mean like sitting at his feet and just beholding his goodness. What if you just chose to worship? What if you chose instead of finding enemies in your life, seeing your kids as your enemies or your spouse as your enemies or your boss as your enemy or the Starbucks barista who didn't give you the right order, your enemy? You chose instead your faith. And you said, this isn't working out, but I know what is working out. You and I. And instead of pursuing after those who have persecuted you and hurt you and harmed you, you chose to pray. And pray for them. This chapter, Acts chapter 4, is going to show us what it means to war against darkness. And that it's through reliance on the Holy Spirit. So if you guys have notes, I'd love for you to write that word down. Reliance. We're going to learn how to be a reliant people, to have reliance on the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to jump back in. I wanted to use a physical Bible today, so I'm probably going to be like awkwardly pausing every once in a while just to open my Bible. But Emily did such a great job just to give some context. So like I said, they heal this guy, which is amazing. Would any of you be upset if we saw a guy get healed on the side of the road? Would you get mad about it? No, you'd be like, that's stinking amazing. How awesome is that? Look at God. These guys get ticked off. Why do they get ticked off? Jesus' arrival on the earth to the Jewish leaders was a threat to their power and to their establishment. These guys have been ruling. I'm not saying these specific guys, but this lineage of high priests have been ruling for thousands of years. There were 613 laws, and it was their responsibility to hold those laws and to make sure people abided by them. So Jesus comes in, and he says, the law is fulfilled in me. And now you have become a priest by my spirit. So if I start calling everyone here a priest, these guys have no validity, right? So you understand why they're upset and why they're disturbed. They're not just like, man, these guys are annoying. It's like, no, they're taking my job, my power, my success, my respect, my authority. It's being taken from me. That's why ultimately they killed Jesus. And it's not just that they were preaching because people had come time and time again over time and preach crazy stuff but it was always like guys who didn't know what they were talking about you know but this name Jesus just keeps coming up why do we keep hearing this guy's name didn't we kill him why do they keep saying Jesus and not just Jesus but the resurrection of the dead that there's new life in him not just that he rose but that he's raising us with him again making the high priest look this big (laughs) so what are you here for (laughs) what's your job again so this is the threat that, that, that's coming against uh, Peter and John. And, and I love that Peter said that. He's like, if you're upset because we healed a sick guy, that's on you, man. But we're just doing our jobs, you know. We're just doing what we saw Jesus do. All right, so we're going to pick up in verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, They had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what are we to do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let's warn them not to speak any longer to any person in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, make your own judgment. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't study the commentary on why it mattered that the guy was 40 years old. There might be some kind of blessing on being 40, I don't know, Um, or making it to 40, I'm not sure. I was reading this book a while back, and it was called Faith for Exiles, and it's by a guy named uh, David Kinnaman, and he was talking about, he did a bunch of studies with his uh, organization on the state of faith amidst millennials and Generation Z. And he was talking about... um, what it means to those people when they say that they follow Jesus, when they say that they're Christians. And he had this really good quote um, when he talked about um, how to share your faith with children, with your kids. He said, experiencing Jesus at an intimate level helps reinforce who they are and what they believe. I'll read it again. Experiencing Jesus at an intimate level helps reinforce who they are, talking about our kids, and what they believe. These disciples were known for having been with Jesus. And just a side note, you guys remember the last time that Peter was known for being with Jesus? What what was his response the last time? Somebody said, hey, you were with that Jesus guy. I don't know what you're talking about. So how cool of a redemption gospel moment that now he's the guy like bothering everybody for having known Jesus, right? Just how God can restore something is so beautiful. These guys were known. It wasn't just that. They had seen them with Jesus, but it's like there's something on them that they've been hanging out with Jesus, right? When I I took that quote away because, I mean, my wife and I both, we, we think all the time about how to share our faith with our kids and how to invite our kids into faith, and I've just come to realize that the children and us as grownups, we have to have an intimate connection. You can't teach your kids into Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? We need the Bible, and we need Scripture and truth, but you can't teach faith into people. It has to be connected by the Spirit. The Spirit has to call them and draw them and bring them into faith. And that's the difference between just any Joe Schmo of the day and Peter and John. These guys have been with Jesus. They look like it. They sound like it. They're bold. They have faith. There's something different about these guys. Jesus and the disciples, they had a genuine relationship with Jesus And they didn't have one with the religious institution. And that's what the Pharisees represented was this institution of religion. They didn't have a relationship with the laws. They had a relationship with the king of life. And that was different. You understand what I'm saying? They came into this moment, saw a man who had an issue, said, I can't give you money, but I can pray for you. And the fact that it bothered the Jewish leaders that that guy was healed is a clear diagnostic. These guys want Jesus. They want kingdom. These guys just want infrastructure and institution. Um, You guys know Evan Barnes. Goes to our church. He does some of our video stuff and things like that. Evan has these Evanisms. And he has these, like, ways that he says different. It's his personality. He says things in funny ways, and they're these isms. Like, you've probably heard, dang. That's Evan, okay? That's Evan saying, Dang. Um, or if you tell him, hey, man, I'm good for coffee tomorrow, he'll go, all right. Like, it's not all right. It's aye. Um, So much so that not only have I started to take in some of these evanisms, but my kids have taken in these evanisms. I'm in the kitchen, and I'm hanging out with my daughter, Nora, and she said, Daddy, I want a Popsicle. I said, we're going to have Popsicles in a little bit. She said, aye, later, and then, like, walked away. And I just went, why are we... What's happening, um, Evan? And then myself and Justin, the guy I'm supposed to lead today. We now the three of us have these isms that we share in together, and they just come out. It's a part of my. De- I can't get it out now. It's like it's a sickness. It's like a disease. I can't get it off. The three of us have spent so much time together, We're at rehearsals and things like that, and we've laughed so much together. We've shared so much life together. We're starting to sound the same. If you hang out enough with my wife and I, we actually start to laugh the same. Um, Another quick story is the other day, I can't remember what Nora said to us, but she said something, and we both had the same exact response at the same timing. Like, it was like, and we were like, whoa. And then she said, why did you guys talk at the same time? And then we both said, because we're married. Like, it just, (laughs) because we're married. And I was like, this is weird. Like, you know, you spend enough time with somebody, you start to sound like them. You spend enough time with somebody, you start to act like them. And not just that, but That relationship that my wife and I have, like, it's not just the funny things, but it's the serious things. We built trust because of the connection. If my wife and I got married five and a half years ago, and then for the next five and a half years did not talk to one another, how connected do you think we would be? How trusting do you think we would be? Would I think that my wife has the best intentions for me? No. Would I trust everything my wife says? No. Because I don't know her. You understand? This call and this invitation that Luke and the Holy Spirit's giving us today is that reliance is everything about us practicing our faith. If you want to become more reliant on the Holy Spirit in your life, you have to practice your faith. And I'm going to be frank with you guys. I'm a worship leader. I sing every Sunday. It's so much fun. Sunday's not going to do it by itself. Amen? Okay? You have to go home and practice your faith. I have to go home and practice my faith with my family, or nothing's going to come of it. You understand? And so the more time we spend the, with Jesus, the more time we spend in his spirit and prayer and worship and, and reading the scriptures, the more we become like him. And that's how faith was meant to be. The Father delights in those who seek his heart, not just his habits. We want to seek his heart, not just his habits. We don't just want to Go to small group for the sake of small, small group and go to church for the sake of church and just open our Bible and read for the sake of reading. It's about connecting with him and wanting to know him more and wanting to be like him more and wanting to see his values and his kingdom in our lives that we connect with him. There's a last quote I have here uh, from that same guy, David Kinnaman. He said, what we consume stakes a claim on who we are. And that is the stuff of identity. Depending on, like the Jewish people, not the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, depending on these institutions, and for us it would be a Sunday morning service and this event and this conference and this YouTube and this podcast or whatever it is, will not be enough for you to build a life that is reliant on the Lord. It will not be enough. You have to actively pursue the Spirit of God. Okay. Let's see. Verse 23. Okay. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind and said, Lord, it is you, not the Jewish leaders, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why were the nations insolent and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and purpose predestined to occur. This is a key verse right here. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence. Notice the prayer isn't, Lord... See their threats and keep us away from them. It's Lord's, see their threats and help me to speak your word with all confidence. Because this is scary. While you extend your hand, this is verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Number one was reliance comes from practice. Number two is reliance comes from prayer. If you go back and read through the Gospels, Jesus was always praying. They're like, Jesus, all these people listen to your sermon. They want your autograph. And he's like, I'm going to go pray. (laughs) I'll see you later. The dude was always praying so much so and not just being like the son of God and praying like, Lord, isn't this cool? Like I'm perfect and you're perfect. Let's just hang on. Be perfect together. It was a in the garden bleeding from sweating so much. He's bleeding. Right. And not saying, Lord, I'm really looking forward to going to the cross, but saying, Lord, this is not what I want. The son of God, savior of the world saying, I don't want to do this. But will you help me do it? If Jesus has to sweat blood and say, I don't want this. I think it's okay for us to get a sense of, you know what? I don't like this. That's okay. It's not wrong to look at any moment of your life, a hardship or a trial, a loss or pain, and say like, Lord, this stinks. I don't like this. That's fine. But to be like Peter and to say, Lord, see the trial, see the hardship, see the difficulty, and give me the power and the strength to walk boldly in your word. And to be faithful to your gospel and faithful to your truth. The, the, the idea, I think, that gets mixed up in our brains sometimes is like when Jesus says take heart, we think it means to take off, you know. He didn't say, uh, go hide somewhere. I've overcome the world. I'll see you when I come back. He said, in, when you, when you do have trouble, not if, not Sometimes. Seasonally, when you have trouble, take heart, for I've overcome the world. Do you guys think that's easy to do? How many of us in this room have experienced pain, anger, disappointment, shame, loss? And did it feel easy in that moment to choose Jesus? Not to get over it, but to choose Jesus. Was it easy or hard? It was completely hard, completely difficult. But the invitation is to, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that trouble, in the midst of the job issues, or the family issues, or the parent issues, whatever it is, to just choose Jesus to walk with us through it. Not to take us out of it. Because the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is he's going to use the hardship, use the trial for his kingdom for good and for glory. Another thing I think we misunderstand is we think that God's like, just get over it. This is good for you. You guys ever have parents like that? fall and scrape your knee, that's good for you. Like, it still hurts. <laughs> right? Now, my coach didn't, like, I didn't get knocked down. and My coach was like, hey, that was good for you. You know, like, that, that's not what happened. Yeah, I got up, and then after practice, he just said, hey, like, hit the weight room and get conditioned. And, like, he taught me how to get stronger. Right? We're called to pray for his presence through trial, not out of it. And another thing, just If you remember, uh, as we just read, like Peter's quoting a psalm. It's Psalm one eighteen. Well, he quotes Psalm one eighteen earlier, but this is Psalm two, and it's like that's the prayer in Psalm two. Why is the nations like against everything I do? Why does it feel like life is held against me? But further on, it says that the King Jesus is seated enthroned, and He's made the earth His footstool. That's the overcoming peace, and what we're called to do. So, um, I thought of. Emily has said this a lot, and my mother-in-law, Holly, who's in here, she's awesome, um, used to be a deacon, deaconess, and uh, she, Emily told me about this, well, I've also seen it, she has, like, scripture all around her house, um, which, you know, when I first, like, started hanging out at the house, I thought it was so cool, you know, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, you know, so I'm like, well, look at this, like, I'm, like, washing my hands, it's like, let your lips, let your words be as sweet honeycomb, and, and I'm like, yes, Lord, like. <laughs> I'm just getting encouraged in the house, you know. And Emily brought up how when she was a kid, they would do something wrong, and, and Holly would just be right there with the verse to be like, you know, uh, I, don't, I can't think of any good proverb right now. but, um, And she was like, you know, Emily said this the other day, as a kid, I, I couldn't stand it, you know. But now that I'm an adult, I'm doing it with my kids, you know. <laughs> She's like, well, you know what the Bible says, you know. Um, There's a verse in, in Deuteronomy 6, and it says that, you should take the word of God and you should put it over your doorpost. You should write it across your forehead. It should be on your hands and your arms. It should be everywhere in your house so that you can see it and remember it at all times. And that's why we were given the word, right? It wasn't just a a book that's supposed to be ancient, not make any sense, and we're supposed to begrudgingly look at it every once in a while and read John 3.16 and remember how good it is that the cross is awesome. It's like, no, this is your, your life jacket. This is your lifeboat, your life raft when the storm is hitting. You're supposed to hop on this book right here and let it give you life, which is why Peter says that, like, Lord, I'm not surprised that the trial's happening because you said it would. You said that the nations would rage. You said that the people would plot in vain. You said this would happen. I'm not shocked. So help me get through it. So just a question uh, before we start closing up here in a moment. Are you investing in your soul? and storing up truth for the upcoming seasons of trouble. I'm going to be honest, like when the hardship comes, it's not that it's too late to start digging into prayer and scripture, but it's better to have been doing it in the good, easy seasons because those scriptures will come to your mind and you'll start remembering, well, you know, Lord, you said in this world I will have trouble, so I'm going to take heart. You know, like, and it seems cheesy and it seems cliche, but it's real. It's real. What else is going to get you through those seasons? Seriously, what else is going to get you through the hard seasons of life other than Jesus and his word? What he said and what he's saying by his spirit. You know what I mean? I can't think of anything right now that's going to matter. So are you investing in that right now? Okay, I'm trying to like hurry up. I told Ashley I'm going to try and be short and I'm just not being short right now. Um, Verse 32. So this is like they come out of it. All of Peter and John's posse comes and picks them up out of prison. And he's telling them what happened. They're praying and they're saying, Lord, like, just lead us. And this is what the church is doing. The religious institution is condemning and imprisoning, trying to silence, trying to create a resistance from the kingdom moving. This is what the church is doing. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each, each to the extent that any had need. Now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, owned a tract of land. So he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The religious leaders are trying to hold on to something. The church is is giving away. This is a picture of the gospel. The gospel is not something to be hoarded. It's something to be extended. Especially when life is hard. To be generous and to give away. Right. Not only is this a good thing to do, a right thing to do, but this is the ultimate prophecy of what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like. So we're going to go back into Deuteronomy 15. I'm going to read this quickly, but this is from the Torah thousands of years earlier before the disciples were doing this. This is starting in verse seven. It says, if there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall fully open your hand to him and generously lend him enough for his need and whatever he lacks. Be careful that there is no mean-spirited thought in your heart, such as the seventh year, the year of release of debts is near, and your eye is malicious toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, in all of your undertakings. So that just means to tithe. Make sure you're tithing every... I'm just kidding. (laughs) The entirety of God's covenant from Genesis 1 to this moment, that is what the kingdom is supposed to look like. A kingdom of generosity. Some of you may be familiar, but one of the commands in Deuteronomy is that if you are a farmer and your harvest comes, you're supposed to leave... On the outside of your land, you're supposed to leave enough harvest for the poor to come and grab what they need. It was a lifestyle of thinking of others. Not when it's convenient. Not when I just got paid. You know what I mean? Like, it was a, at all times, hard, easy, much, little, feast, famine. I could go on for days and days. Like, you're supposed to be thinking of others. Because that's what the kingdom is. And this just goes to prove They're already starting to face persecution. By the way, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get easier. But as things get worse for the disciples, the kingdom gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because the kingdom of God, the gospel, is that I would give my life away. I would give my flesh up. I would give everything, my pride, my selfishness, my need up for the sake of the kingdom of God. And that boldness not only glorifies God, not only, as Matthew 6 says, gives me everything I need, that I'm taken care of, but the world around me is blessed by it. Um, this is all for the disciples, a piece of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that because my debt has been paid, because my sin has been removed, I now can give away. The Holy Spirit was given to us not to see magic tricks, but to be a blessing. Right? Sometimes it looks like miracles, sometimes it looks like prophetic words, and all that stuff is so good. It also can look like that guy at QT that keeps bothering you and just giving him his money. I have a really funny story. I'm gonna share it real quick. I'm at QT. I love QT. In QT, I was picking up slushies or something, I can't remember. And I'm coming out, and this guy's at the gas pump and he stops me. Sound like he was like a Caribbean bro. Like he was he was like, eh man, no me had 20 dollars. You know, and I was like. Uh, okay, strangely enough, I had exactly $20 in my wallet. And I usually don't carry cash. And I said, oh, I was like, do you need food or something? He, and he. this is exactly what he said. I'm trying to buy some ganja, bruh. Dude wanted to buy marijuana with my $20. <laughs> and he told me the truth, you know? I was like, this is great. Y'all are going to think I'm crazy. I'm telling the truth. Start talking to this guy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> trying to tread lightly, you know, and and so uh, I was like, okay, uh, do you live around here? Trying to get to know him a little bit. Getting this whole conversation, and uh, I just, guys, and I I didn't know a more eloquent eloquent way to say it, I just said, man, do you know Jesus? (laughs) And he said, no, man, and I was like, okay, he said, Jesus never did anything good for me. This guy had anger in his heart, and I was like, what do you mean? You know, and he told me about his life a little bit, hardships and the fact that he was on the streets, he was homeless. He said, God ain't never done anything for me. I said, dude, every good thing you've had in your life is from God. I said, every good thing. And I start just talking, again, not eloquently at all. But then I said, and I'm going to give you this $20 and I don't want you to spend it on pot, dude. I want you to get yourself some food. I said, but I'm giving it to you because I feel that the Holy Spirit told me to give you this $20. But know that this $20 is from the spirit in me, from a God that says he loves you. And that he gives good gifts, not $20 bills, but he gives you life, man. He gives you purpose. You do whatever you want with that $20, not on me. And no matter what you do, Jesus loves you, dude. He cries. He tries to give the $20 back. He says, I don't deserve it. I said, on the contrary, you do because of his cross, dude. I said, you have life because of his cross and his resurrection. I said, go follow Jesus. Didn't feel the the Holy Spirit did not say pray for him or anything. I gave him a big hug. He's crying. I pumped my gas, and I took off. I don't know what's going on with that guy. But I knew that my $20, I knew that my time was not my own in that moment. How many other people have I overlooked in my life? Because I don't think they deserve it. Because I don't think they're working hard enough to get out of the rut they're in. Whatever it may be is not up to you. We are called to look like fools in this world. To waste our money. To waste that paper. Because it's meaningless compared to an eternity of his kingdom. His life in that man matters more to me than a $20 bill. I've got other $20 bills. Right? I don't need it. So, that's my story. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up and skip a couple things. Um, I've got three questions. I was going to say uh, the band can come up, but that's just me. Um, and Liz, Liz can come up if she's around. Um, but, uh, man, thank you guys for, for being so great and, and you know, listening to me talk and everything. Um, these are the intentional questions this morning. Number one is, will we practice reliance or independence? Are you going to run your life, or are you going to let the Holy Spirit run your life? Are you going to let the world dictate your faith, or are you going to call for faith in the Holy Spirit to dictate your world? There's a specific moment in David and Goliath's battle. We always talk about facing the giants and everything and and all that. But it's when David looks at Goliath, and Goliath is like, you're so tiny. And, and, you know, he's laughing at David. And David looks at me, and he says, you are defying my God. And that's why I'm standing here, because you disrespected my God, man, and I can't allow it to happen. He's probably like 5'3", like Kevin Hart's size, you know what I mean? And he's got these rocks. And he's like, I'm not having it. You know, like, I just think that's so great. He's like, you're not going to do it today. And, and I just think that's what, that's what the call is. So that comes from David abiding in the presence of the Lord. So are we going to become a people who rely on God? Or are we going to remain independent? Number two is will we pray through trial or will we run away from it or avoid it? Trial, again, this is not just being persecuted for your faith. This is life happening to you. When the money runs out, When you lose your job, when there's a death in your family, uh, when tragedy strikes, when sin enters into your world or your family, are you going to run away from the presence of the Lord? Are you going to run away from prayer and life and try and take care of it on your own? Are you going to shove it down inside yourself? It's okay. I got it under control. Or are you going to submit to the healer, to the great physician? Number three, will we find our purpose in his kingdom? or continue to create our own. Um, I I say this, I think, every time I preach, but it's something that sits in the back of my mind, Um, especially recently, like, all this stuff going on with inflation, and and food shortages, and whatnot, like, you know, and if you listen to enough radio and media, I mean, you're going to just dig yourself a hole, and, and just go under there for a while, like, it sounds all really scary, you know, but I just keep thinking, not in a Sunday school way, but for real. I, I'm going to breathe my last breath one day on this earth. And the, the things most precious to me, my wife, my kids, whatever my ministry is by the time I pass away, will be a whisper of time. And the rest of that time called eternity, which sits outside of time, will be spent reveling in the presence of Jesus in his light that radiates heaven. So the things I worry about now, the things I get mad about now, the things I spend my money on now, the way I handle conflict, how I speak to my kids, all that stuff, am I going to do it for the kingdom that's going to last or this one that's going to pass away? Sounds old school maybe. Maybe sounds like something you've heard before, but I want you to really think about that. This is not a joke. We aren't playing games right now. You know what I mean? We got fogs and lights and stuff that that we do worship and things like that. But like there is a creator, a being that sits outside, outside of our three dimensions. He sits outside of it and he's sovereign over all of it. Not surprised by any of it. And he holds the power of death and life in his hands. That is a scary, humbling thought if you really think about it. So with all of that, are you just going to keep building your little brick kingdoms today? Are you just going to let go of it and just follow him and what he says? Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.